Good? Gail's so funny. <clears throat> she hates when I call her out, so I'll start off with this. I was sitting back there, and I was, I've got all these papers I printed out, and they've got little scribbled numbers on the top, and so she's like, man, are they in order? Are they in order? And my three, you can't see it, but my three does look like a seven, and I had it right here in the second one. She's like, man, that's a seven. That's a seven. Put it in the back. Put it in the back. And so as Josh is praying, we're shuffling papers around. I'm trying to tell her, don't worry about it. They're in the right order. So we're going to look at Matthew 11:28 28 through 30. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Josh Womble asked us to choose a meaningful passage, and uh, I have a grandfather that passed away several years ago. He was a longtime church member. He was an example of a man of God to me when I was growing up, and he could quote this passage. Uh, he, was a, he was a very special man. He lived right up the road from my parents. Um, I can picture him sitting in his chair. He had a recliner in his living room. Uh, he actually lived five houses up from where we live now, but he would sit there, and he would watch the Weather Channel. I don't know what it was about that Weather Channel, but it was on all day. And it was back before anybody had weather on their phone. So if you needed to know the weather, you just called Papa, and he, he could tell you the weather in New York, Miami, anywhere. And so he, he would sit there, and he would tell us stories about uh, World War II. He was stationed in Hawaii, and this was his favorite verse. Right? I'm going to say it's his favorite verse. He definitely quoted it a lot. It is Matthew, 20, Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, thank you for passages like these that teach us so much in so little words. Thank you for Christ, the great teacher. We ask that you bless this time as we learn together, and we ask that your spirit would move in our hearts. In your name we pray, amen. I read that in the King James Version. I know we don't use that one very much anymore, but that's the one he would quote it in. So to me, that's what that verse is. Uh, Gail and I would go up to his house. He had suffered a stroke. He couldn't read. He couldn't fix his food anymore. He couldn't really do anything. He couldn't attend church, which really bothered him. Uh, so we would go up there and sit with him. That's back when we just had one child, Andrew. I told him that today, and he doesn't remember that because he's only one, or he was only one at the time. But uh, we would take him up there, and so that's that's kind of my memory of this verse. To give you some context to the passage, Jesus is speaking to God's people at that time, the Jews. The Jewish people had been living in what we now call the silent years. Uh, in Sunday, Sunday mornings, Josh is going through the minor prophets. That would be from the end of the minor prophets to the New Testament. They hadn't heard from God in a few hundred years. So they were in Rome politically, but their spiritual lives were led by teachers and priests. And some of them, maybe not all, but some of them at the time had sort of twisted or misused God's word, and he, they had made it about works. So Josh talked this morning about our identity not being in what we do, but what Christ has done for us. They had missed that point about God working for them. They were working for God. So they had become burdened by ceremonies, laws, and rites, which they were taught must be kept in order to stay in God's favor. It's not that they were ignoring God's word completely, but they were misusing it and therefore were leading people in the wrong direction. 
They taught that the Jew, Jewish people must earn their way to God by strict obedience to laws that would make them right in God's eyes. And this way they removed the need for faith and added their own works to salvation. They were putting salvation into their own hands. Jesus is about to blow their minds by offering a different way, a different path to the Father. Take his yoke, he said. Take his yoke, a yoke that will guide us, or his people, and keep us on the straight and narrow. A yoke that does not add to our burdens, but which lightens them. A yoke that provides rest. So from the passage, we're going to focus on the rest tonight. Jesus said, I shall give you rest. There's three questions I want to ask you and hopefully point you towards the answer. The first is, what is rest? If we're going to talk about rest, we would need to know what rest he's talking about. The second question is, who is this rest for? Is it for everyone? Is it for certain people? Last but most importantly is how do we receive this rest Jesus speaks of? So what is rest? Jesus is telling his disciples and a Jewish audience that he has a rest to offer them. Now when we talk about rest, we usually mean a nap, taking a break, getting off from work, laying down on the couch. When I got home from church today, uh, and this is going to offend some people, but I don't nap real well if I just turn off the lights and try to close my eyes, but I'll turn on something boring on the TV, and so I turn on baseball. <laughs> There's a Major League Baseball game on. I love baseball as a sport. I just don't like watching it on TV, especially the MLB regular season. I don't know any of the players' names. I know the teams, but that's it. So I turned on, I think it was the Cardinals and Cubs, but you can correct me if that was wrong. Uh, turned it on. I laid down, and I thought, I'm going to lay here and watch this baseball game, and I'm actually going to fall asleep. Well, Gail's in her room asleep. Jake's in his room, I think, playing with Pokemon cards. Zach's downstairs trying to do the laundry, but he messed up. Drew's downstairs, I think, reading, maybe. And Aria decides to, I don't know what, play with her doorknob, go to the bathroom, bring me a pencil, everything but stay in her room. So... If you've parented long enough, you know the trick about turning the doorknob around and locking them in. You can do that, but then they can still bang the doorknob over and over again. So it, it's like, it, it didn't really work. So I wanted a rest, but I didn't get one. This idea of rest is good, but not exactly what Jesus was speaking of. I don't think Jesus was promising perfect nap time. If we look at the seventh day of creation, the Lord rested. Now, God had done a lot of work, but we know he was not worn out. Now, when I did the catechisms and e-kids, I'll probably botch the exact wording, but it was something like, does God have a body like ours? No, he is a spirit infinite and eternal, or something like that. Is that close? <laughs> Put him on the spot, sorry. Sure. So God doesn't get tired. I mean, we, we understand that. God doesn't know. But he did rest on the seventh day. So we see that from the beginning of God's word that something more must be meant by rest. In the Old Testament, we see the Jewish people seeking rest. In the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 3, 18 through 20, Moses tells us about, an, about the Israelites and their enemies. We see God's promises here of rest. God promises he will provide rest for Israel through land, peace, and security. Moses says, I commanded you at that time, the Lord your God has given you this land to take possession of it. 
but all your able-bodied men armed for battle must cross over ahead of the Israelites. However, your wives, your children, your livestock may stay in the towns I've given you until the Lord gives rest to your fellow Israelites as he has to you. And they too have taken over the land that the Lord your God is giving them across the Jordan. After that, each of you may go back to the possession I have given you. So that was Moses. Later in Joshua, Joshua says, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. So we see throughout the Old Testament, God is promising rest. Rest from trials and tribulations, rest from enemies, a rest that will be good for us and good for his people. So when Jesus is speaking to Jewish people about rest, we have to take all of this into context. Jesus, being a Jew, is not bringing a new concept to them. He was fulfilling Old Testament promises. To dive into what Jesus meant by rest, I'll give you five descriptions of the type of rest Jesus speaks of, and I got this from John MacArthur. So it's five different descriptions of rest to answer our first question, what is rest? First one is to cease from action or motion. To cease from action or motion can be understood as entering into God's rest and no longer counting on our works to reach God, what Josh was saying this morning. We have this rest from the ideas of legalism, the idea that we can work our way into heaven. This was the mind-blowing part to the Jews who were used to the opposite requirements from their teachers. They were told they must work diligently night and day to remain God's people. There was no rest for them. To rest would be to lose God's favor. Jesus is saying we can rest because the work has been done. Jesus lived the life we could not, then sacrificed himself so we could have his reward. As Christians, we are to rest from trying to earn God's favor by our actions and deeds. What we do definitely matters, we know that, but it's not our actions that get us into heaven. An example would be uh, wanting to go meet someone important, say the Queen of England, and standing outside her gates and listing all the things you had done that day or that week. Well, no matter how many things you listed, you would never get in. You were only going to get in if you were granted an audience. The second description of rest would be is to be free from whatever disturbs. And this is sort of the calm and the storm idea. We have the peace that passes all understanding, the peace of God. When bad things happen, which we all know they will, through the prayer requests we just shared, we know that tragedy does happen in this life. Many of us have experienced it firsthand. But when the bad things happen, we have rest that God will work all things together for the good of those that are called according to his purposes. The third description is to be settled or fixed. To be settled or fixed is to rest in the fact that we are positionally secured by the Father. This means that God holds us in our spiritual position. We did not save ourselves, and we are not keeping ourselves saved. God holds us secure in him. This is a comforting thought and and something that should give us rest. Think about how terrifying it would be if you constantly were thinking that you had to keep yourself in God's favor. But how restful is it to know that he has us firmly in his hands? And although it's a children's song, we can identify with the idea that he's got the whole world in his hands. To remain confident or trustful is the next description. The fourth one, to remain confident or trustful, is simply to enjoy our faith without fear. Jesus took our punishment. God loves us. 
We are not fearful of the judgment to come because when God sees us, he sees his son. If we thought that we would be saved or not be saved based on our works, then we should be in fear and not restful. But since we are saved based on Jesus' work, we can rest that the work is finished. In fact, those were his last words on the cross. It is finished. Number five, to lean on or depend on the last description of rest I'll give you. It's a freeing idea to lean on or depend on. The Father supplies all our needs. He is a gracious giver. If the Father clothes the grass in the field, how much more will he take care of us, his children? He cares for us like a perfect, loving Father, and we can rest that he will always be a good Father to his children. Like the song says, he is a good, good Father. Hopefully some of these ideas or definitions of rest were new to you or to give, can give you a new way to think about the type of rest Jesus is speaking of. I know I need rest. Me and Jake needed rest after that championship basketball game. You reminded me of that this morning. I had to throw it in. I get tired and I need to rest, but more than this, I need the type of rest Jesus is speaking of, rest for my soul. That brings up the second question, who is this rest for? Let me read you something from Albert Barnes on this topic. The poor and needy, the weary and heavy laden, the soul sick of sin and of the world, the sinner conscious of guilt and afraid to die may come to Jesus Christ and live. The invitation is as wide as the world. The child and the old man seek and find salvation at the feet of the same Savior. No child is too young, no man is too old, no one is too great a sinner. Christ is full of mercy, and all who come shall find peace. Oh, how we should live in this sinful and miserable world, borne down with sin and exposed each moment to death. How should we come and find the peace which he has promised to all, and take the yoke which all have found to be light? Here we see that the invitation is for all, but the blessing of rest is only for those who answer the call. The unbelieving people in our lives have not received this rest. They're still looking for it, probably in all the wrong places. And we're called to point them to Christ who gives rest. Jesus came to give rest to those who believe. This is simple yet profound. Earlier in this passage, Jesus says, this is Matthew eleven twenty-five through 27, right before our passage. Matthew eleven twenty-five 25 through 27, Jesus declares, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, Jesus here is thanking his Father that some hear his voice and some do not. He says these things have been hidden from the wise but have been revealed to little children. He goes on to say that this is his Father's gracious will. So we start to understand that those who receive his rest are the ones he wills to believe. He even makes a bold claim that no one knows the Father except the Son and those whom he chooses to reveal to himself. It was the same then as it is now. Not all people claimed Jesus as Lord. There were some listening to Jesus right then, live and in person, who didn't believe him. Some today sadly reject him and therefore do not take place in his rest. The rest is we believers get to partake in. 
The last question, and to some degree, we've already pointed to its answer, is how do we receive this rest? If we decide this rest is something we need, how can we be assured that we will receive it? Matthew Henry says something about receiving this rest. So powerful are the assistances he gives us, so suitable the encouragements, and so strong the consolations to be found in the way of duty that we may truly say it is a yoke of pleasantness. The way of duty is the way of rest. The truths Christ teaches are such as we may venture our souls upon. Such is the Redeemer's mercy. And why should the laboring and burdened sinner seek for rest from any other quarter? Let us come to him daily for deliverance from wrath and guilt, from sin and Satan, from all our cares, fears, and sorrows. But forced obedience, far from being easy and light, is a heavy burden. In vain do we draw near to Jesus with our lips while the heart is far from him. Then come to Jesus to find rest for your souls. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we must daily submit to Christ. Salvation is not a one-time deal, it's for a lifetime. The, saint, the Father holds us securely in his hand and we are to humbly obey and to submit to him. The same God that saved you is the same God that's keeping you and growing you. If we are toiling day in and day out to stay in God's good graces, we will not find rest. We must cease from this kind of work. We also must flee from unrepentant sin. Jesus had this to say about the cities in his time that had seen his mighty works done, but were unrepentant. The Lord says, It will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. What a terrible fate. There's no rest in that. There is rest in humbly submitting to his yoke. His yoke is not a burden, it is light. It will keep us on the straight and narrow. We must bow to receive the yoke, but once we receive it, we will never want to throw it off. The Jewish people of Jesus' day were worn down by laws and rituals. The unrepentant cities were too proud to submit. Jesus warns us not to go down either of these paths. Legalism is too much of a burden to bear. Jesus says he desires mercy, not sacrifice. There is no mercy in legalism. Jesus also strongly warns against going our own way about living in unrepentant sin. There is no rest for that soul. If rest is what we desire, and if we desire it, then it is God's will. Take comfort in knowing that Jesus has done the work to secure that rest for you. If today you do not feel rest in your soul, I challenge you to search your heart and see if there is unrepentant sin in your life. Are you willing to ask God for forgiveness to experience this rest? Or maybe you have never submitted to him at all. If that's the case, then be encouraged that the same offer Jesus made 2,000 years ago still stands. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time where you have shown us so much from such a small portion of your word. Help it to move our hearts towards you. Forgive us of our sin. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.